We're only 10 episodes behind schedule. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're not getting paid for this. You're not. (laughs) I'm being paid by the Whitmore Corporation. (laughs) Any chit to chat before? No way, man. All right. Live Together, Die Alone, parts one and two, directed by Jeff Binder. May 24th, 2006. On Monday, May 22nd, Canadian activist Heather Crow dies of lung cancer at 61. In 2002, Crow was diagnosed with lung cancer. Despite having never smoked a cigarette in her life, doctors found a tumor the size of her hand on her lung. She believed that this was on account of secondhand smoke she experienced during her work as a server at Moe's Newport Restaurant for 40 years. She worked at the same place as a server for 40 years. That's unheard of. She better have been royalty around there. I feel like she would have been. She was, by all accounts, a dedicated employee. She got her diagnosis in the summer of 2002, and according to her boss, she was seemingly more worried about leaving him short-staffed than about even having cancer. Oh my God. Shortly after, she successfully applies for workers' comp. Uh, she gets letters signed by a bunch of politicians and doctors um, and gets almost immediate national attention. Um, basically, what she's doing is getting in writing in no uncertain terms that her cancer was indeed caused by secondhand smoke on account of her work. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that becomes like an indisputable fact. Uh one of her regulars at work happens to be none other than, say it with me, Dan Mickles, Canada's former mm. assistant deputy minister of health. Right. He tells her that they're actually in the middle of developing a campaign on secondhand smoke, and she becomes the face of that campaign. So she goes all around the country giving speeches, basically lobbying, um, but in following this lobbying campaign, Ontario passes an anti-smoking bill banning smoking in all public spaces and near the entrances of all government buildings. So this law goes into effect four days after she dies, two days after the season finale of Lost. When Heather started working with Physicians for Smoke-Free Canada, barely 5% of Canadians lived in jurisdictions where there were protections from secondhand smoke in the workplace. By the time she died, it was 80%. Wow. Yeah. Nuts. I mean, most of that was taken almost directly from her Wikipedia page, but then also um, there is this, like, 25-minute YouTube clip um, that's, like, the the legacy of Heather Crow, and it goes into more details about her life. It was very interesting. Okay, are you ready for the movie? Yes. Um, I'm not going to give you the tagline. I'm just going to give you this. You know those little Instagram filters that are like quizzes? Oh, and then it popped up. It was like, who painted the Mona Lisa? And and then then, someone didn't know how to say Da Vinci? Yeah, except it's, they do know how to say it. It's been revealed that they were were doing a goof. It's been revealed. (laughs) Uh, yeah, the Da Vinci Code. Um, guess what? This movie has no fun facts at all. How? Uh, I mean, there are technically fun facts and trivia on IMDb, but I wouldn't call them fun. I didn't have fun reading them. Um, starring Tom Hanks, directed by Tom Howard. Tom Howard? (laughs) (laughs) What is this, Lost? Everyone's name is Tom? Tom's. 
I, uh, so I just went on Letterboxd. A lot of the reviews take issue with Tom Hanks's hair in the movie, <laughs> um, along with it being too long, too boring, and too pretentious. <laughs> um, Eleanor's son emoji calls it just national treasure, but zero fun. <laughs> User M. Hod writes, ha 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 ha, holy fuck, this is so batshit, it rules, but then only gave it two and a half stars. <laughs> Eli the Skull gave it a half a star, saying, sure, a roundabout way of saying Jesus fucked. I'm sure that would make more sense if we had seen it, but... Uh, Grace says the French cannot be trusted. <laughs> Obi calls it the distinky code. <laughs> and then um, someone wrote something very interesting, which is, why must a movie be good? Is it not enough to sit somewhere dark, solve riddles, and enjoy blasphemous content? Blasphemous is in quotes. <laughs> oh, shit. I need to pull up the song. Oh, Remember that song, Breathe 2AM by Anna Nalik? No. That was my jam. Sing it. The one that's like, 2AM and she calls me cause I'm still awake. <laughs> I'm certain that's the top song. Really killing it on the charts. Um, did we already do that song? Mm -hmm. Okay, that's what I thought. I have a song to play for you as well. Oh. What is this? It's called the Internationale. It's an anthem of the socialist movement. <laughs> Considered one of the Hell best yeah. known propaganda songs. The original French poem was written in 1871 by French Freemason, revolutionary, and socialist transport worker Eugene Potier, and then the Belgian socialist composer Pierre de Gaeter set it to this tune in 1888. But directly, one of the lines is, We'll live together or we'll die alone. Wow, okay. Noted. Thank you for that, Anna. I don't think you'll be surprised to learn that this episode is rated 9.4 out of 10, putting it at the number three spot. So only two episodes of Lost have a higher user rating Whoa, than Live Together what are Die they? Alone. I shan't tell you. Okay, okay. I don't even know what they are. <laughs> we haven't had them yet, though. Okay. So part one, we open up where we left off. Uh, a boat is floating ashore and people seem kind of hopeful that it might be rescue. Jack, Sawyer, and Saeed swim over to it and climb on board. Sawyer and Saeed take their shirts off, but Jack does not. <laughs> they find Desmond drunk listening to opera. He laughs and laughs. <laughs> Later that night, Desmond is still drunk, still drinking. He tells Jack that he was sailing west for two and a half weeks trying to find Fiji, but he just ended up back on the island. Just like the guys on the raft. They drifted. Yeah. They just drifted right back to yeah. the island. He says it's because this place is a bloody snow globe. There's no outside world, no escape, hence the liquor. Where did he get all that liquor? I guess it was Dharma. Like, Dharma wine bottle. Huh. I saw. Oh, okay. He asks if they're still pushing the button. We flash back to Desmond getting his possessions back from an army guard at a prison. 
Um, we don't, we never find out what he, or we haven't found out what he does. Um, a pocket watch, keys, a photo of him and a woman, and a copy of our mutual friend. When asked why he didn't bring the book inside, Desmond says to avoid temptation. He's read everything Mr. Charles Dickens has ever written. Every <laughs> wonderful word. Every wonderful word, except this one. He's saving it so that it's the last thing he ever reads before he dies, and I'm sure the guard is sorry that he asked. <laughs> um, Desmond is hereby dishonorably discharged from the Royal Scots Regiment of Her Majesty's Armed Forces. He leaves the prison and accepts a ride from a man who gives him a box filled with letters he'd written to a woman named Penelope. They were never delivered. She never learned why. For all she knows, he abandoned her. Desmond learns that she's moved on and is getting married. In another box, he finds a bunch of money, which is a bribe to leave Penelope alone. We learn that the man is her father, and he wants him gone. Back to the present, Saeed is on to Michael and his trap. He tells Jack that while Michael leads him to the trap by land, Saeed will use the boat to scout them. Uh, start a signal fire where where he'll meet them. Saeed insists that Michael's been turned. He tells them he tells him not to tell the others because Michael cannot sense that they're onto him. So Jack now has this big secret. In the hatch, John tells Echo not to push the button next time the timer runs out. I'm a slave to no. You're a slave to that. Echo says, do not tell me what I can do, <laughs> which seemed a little bit forced. Then John tries to smash the computer, but Echo stops him, escorts him out of the hatch while he shouts, we're puppets, as long as we push, we'll never be free. On the beach, the gang is gearing up for their trip to go get Walt back. No way. I bet they're gonna kill someone. Ain't that the point? But the point was to get Walt back. Kate expresses suspicion about the costume she found, suggesting that maybe the others just want them to think they're hillbillies. Michael insists that they are hillbillies, and they don't know we're coming. <laughs> and they definitely don't know we're coming. <laughs> so they set off. Uh, meanwhile, Saeed asks to borrow Desmond's boat, which he relinquishes very easily, saying, you're off to see the hostels, aren't you? The name hostels is pretty disconcerting to Saeed. Um, also, we finally find something that Saeed can't do, which is sail. Oh, fuck, you're right. Uh, flashback, Desmond tries to order a coffee but doesn't have any money, and guess who's there in a tragic wig to spot him? <laughs> they get to talking, and he tells her more about the race around the world. He explains that Charles Widmore, the man from the car, I guess is in charge of the race. And when I didn't take his money, he took away the only thing in the world that... Ever truly cared about? Who is she? His daughter. Uh, he wants to win the race so that he can win Penelope. I don't. I don't understand the logic here. Exactly. <laughs> I feel like he's just trying. To, I'm gonna win a race so your dad will respect me. What if she is the prize of the of winning the race and he gets I to hope marry so. her? Oh my god! Like it's 1432. <laughs> But he needs 42 grand, 42, to buy a boat. Turns out Libby has a boat. It was her husband's boat. Turns out she had a husband. Uh, but he died a month ago, and she wants Desmond to have it. He says he'll win this race for love. In the present, Saeed asks Sun to ask Jin to help him sail, but Sun wants to come too. 
In the jungle, they find a baby doll. Sawyer goes to pick it up, but Kate stops him, saying it's a net trap. She tells him about getting caught in the net with Jack, which is a nice callback to a couple episodes ago. Then a big bird swoops over them. Hurley and the subtitles both think that this bird said his name, but it definitely didn't. Uh, Michael tries to shoot the bird, but his gun has no bullets, and Jack is like, oops, sorry, guess I forgot to load it. The last time we saw that bird that allegedly says Hurley was when they were going through the dark territory to get to the Black Rock ship. I don't remember ever seeing a bird. That's the first bird I've ever seen. (laughs) That that same thing happened where the subtitles said Hurley, but the bird 100% was like, (laughs) <laughs> so this is instance number two of that bird they're really asking us to suspend our disbelief on that one but also like it how funny would that have been if it had sounded more like hurley Hurley. would it have been like a man making Ka-ka. a bird noise like who did who did the voiceover for the bird saying hurley's name that's my MVP. I have so many questions (laughs) meanwhile Charlie finds John sobbing by a tree he tells him that Desmond is back (laughs) on the beach Saeed is initially hesitant to let Sun come with them uh, but he doesn't really have a choice so the three of them set off meanwhile Desmond tells Claire she's wasting her time with the medicine Um, then there's a weird interaction where it seems like he's hitting on her, asking about where the dad is, but then he ends up defending him, saying, like, oh, maybe he walked off because he knew that he'd be a lousy dad and he was doing what was best for her. Which, like, fuck off, dude. Like, how- I would be so furious if, if I was pregnant and I- landed on an island (laughs) i had to give birth on the island i was on my way to give the baby away and this motherfucker was like oh maybe maybe he was trying to do what was best for you he didn't see that flashback episode yeah he doesn't know tom (laughs) tom won (laughs) yeah tom is tom number one uh, flashback, Desmond is at the stadium the night he runs into Jack. Penelope pulls up. She asks him why he didn't write to her. He doesn't answer. Why doesn't he answer her? Well, okay. My mom also had an issue with this, but I think the point is that he's saying to Claire, like, well, you don't know his motivations. Maybe he thought the best thing for you was for him to not be in the picture. And then we immediately see him not, you know, engaging with Penelope. So I think the show is trying to say that he thought that she would be better off marrying this other guy. But then he's doing but a then race why around is the he world going, to win Why is back. he doing the race? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe he thinks that... I mean, okay. I guess you could make the argument that, like, if there is a chance that she would change her mind... And choose him. It would be because he wins the race. She loves winners. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't I don't quite get that. Um But did he take the money from Charles Whitmore? Oh. Is that why he can't say anything about Oh, I guess. Cause that'd be kind of badass if he took the money and then still tried to win her back. Um, he tells her he's going to win the race and then be back in a year. 
She asks him what he's running from, and he says he's running to getting his honor back. <laughs> wolves, even wolves have honor. <laughs> In the present, he's getting drunker when John, the boxman, joins him. <laughs> I screamed. He tells him about the other hatch and the film. I love that they're showing us John watching the video in the hatch like we didn't just see that two episodes ago. Yeah. <laughs> um, also, like, this show does so much, like, explaining of things that already happened. And in a way that I am not complaining about. Because, yeah. like, I I get why they're doing it. And also, I benefit from it because I forget things. Um, yeah, it's definitely one of those shows where they know people can't just jump into it. Right. They're gonna need some explanation. But he was already explaining how he found the hatch, uh-huh. and he was explaining what he learned. I don't understand why they had to show the clip of him watching the film again. Yeah, you're right, because I read that they, there was a a lot more, like, they filmed a lot that they didn't have time to include, so everything in this episode should be, like, just the essentials. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, He tells him all about the psychological experiment. Um, He tells him to sober up and tomorrow they're going to find out what happens if the button doesn't get pushed. Meanwhile, the Walt rescue crew is winding down for the night. Hurley is still thinking about that bird that didn't say his name. (laughs) Michael is anguishing by himself when Jack finds him. You should be out here alone. I'll give you a hand. Hey, thanks for coming out here, risking your neck for my boy. And Jack says, live together, die alone. Jack is a confirmed communist. (laughs) (laughs) On the sailboat, they see a giant stone foot with four toes on the coast. In the hatch, the electricity turns off and on, and Echo goes out to investigate. John and Desmond somehow lock him out, and to add insult to injury, John takes his Jesus stick. Now they're going to wait for the timer to run out. In a flashback, Desmond hits a storm on the sailboat. He washes ashore, and a man in a yellow hazmat suit drags him to the hatch. We learn this is Kelvin. Desmond says, what was all that about then? (laughs) Just saving the world. He watches the films over and over. Kelvin wears the hazmat suit so he doesn't get infected when he goes outside, and that's also what the medicine is for. In the present, Echo climbs out of the hatch, sees the quarantine lid, and runs to the beach to find Charlie. He tells him that in 90 minutes, everyone on the island will die because John isn't going to push the button. In in the jungle, Sawyer is telling the group he thinks the others are aliens when Kate realizes that they're being followed. She begins shooting. Sawyer kills one and the other gets away. Uh, Sawyer and Kate want to go after him so he doesn't warn the others, but Jack tells him that tells them that they've already been warned. Michael comes clean about the list with their names on it. We get to watch Hurley in real time put together that Michael killed Libby. Then Hurley and Kate and Sawyer get to put together that Jack knew about the plan and led them out there anyway. This scene is equal parts gutting and awkward. (laughs) (laughs) The sailboat crew makes it to their destination and that's the end of part one. I can't believe that the boat that's named after Libby showed up to her funeral and she didn't even get to see it. 
She didn't even know that Desmond was on the island. Absolutely. I didn't even think about that. That's wild. I would shit. He said he had been down there for three years. I'm not sure if we knew that before. How long he was there when, like, they blew up the swan hatch door. Yeah, that's nuts. All right, part two. Charlie and Echo find the dynamite stash in the jungle. Okay. Careful. Careful. Dynamite is very unstable. Don't hand it like Dr. Hans. They start setting it up in the hatch. Charlie warns John and Desmond that they're going to blast open the door, but Desmond says it would take an atom bomb to open the door. Flashback to Desmond and Kelvin in the hatch. I'm not sure what Desmond is doing, uh, but the blast doors close, and Kelvin is trying to draw a map on one of the doors. Apparently, Radzinski had a map and he was trying to redraw it or something. Um, he finally tells Desmond that Radzinski shot himself. Uh, we learn it's been two years. Desmond wants to go outside. Kelvin is also a veteran. We learn that, but he was a higher rank and clearly has some guilt about that. The scene ends with Kelvin ordering Desmond to stay inside and push the button. I don't understand what happened with like the wires like how Desmond is doing that thing touching the wires together yeah so but I'm okay not knowing all I got was that Kelvin taught Desmond how to fake a lockdown so that he could continue making that map that Radzinski had been making in the invisible ink so that answers the question of who made the blast door map you know because I was imagining like a lockdown had happened and somebody was like I don't know. I didn't have any answers. So now we know that you can fake a lockdown. Okay. And that's it. Also, Kelvin's the first person we've seen on this whole show that we actually know worked for Dharma. And so I wish that he would give us answers. Yeah. But not in this app. (laughs) And probably never again. (laughs) And goodbye. In the present, Charlie is trying to convince Echo not to blow open the door when Echo removes Charlie's belt and throws it against the magnetized wall. Hey, what John's right. Maybe it's just some colossal joke. You know, it's just some old computer connected to nothing. Maybe it's just a bunch of wires that... I hope for one second Charlie thought they were going to fuck. <laughs> Wait, okay, but the belt sticks to the wall and Echo's like, is that a joke? But what does that prove? Yeah, every single time someone talks- All Charlie is trying to do is say, don't set off the dynamite. <laughs> People have used the magnetic wall or the magnet the magnetism of this- part of the island as like an excuse for things multiple times and I don't get why that's an excuse for anything. It it's never just... relates to what they're talking about. <laughs> or maybe it does and I'm too stupid. That yeah. is lost in a nutshell. <laughs> um, 
Echo ends up setting off the dynamite, and of course, it engulfs the entire fucking hallway. Jesus Christ. Flashback hatch, Desmond wakes up to the sound of the timer. He types in the numbers and looks for Kelvin. He finds him drunk, and we learn that he was going to destroy the whole hatch, but couldn't do it. Kelvin tells him that the incident that the Dharma Initiative refers to is some kind of electromagnetic thing, and every time they push the button, they're releasing some of the charge before it gets too big. And so I guess what what the key does is just... Releases it all at once. Releases it all. Yeah, okay. Saeed finds a couple of abandoned huts and then a Dharma Initiative door. He opens it to find that it leads nowhere. Meanwhile... How did he know to look for rocks with a hole in the middle? Are we assuming that Michael told Jack about that and then Jack told Saeed secretly so that he could come meet them there? Yeah, I have no idea. I don't remember there being any talk about landmark rocks. They, we definitely didn't see anyone talking about it besides the type, like, when Michael read it on the computer screen. Oh. So I guess we have to assume that yeah, I guess he passed people that information. have talked about it. Meanwhile, the rescue crew finds a pile of notebooks with journal entries. They see the smoke signal far away. They're nowhere near the beach like they thought they'd be. They get ambushed and kidnapped. In the hatch, John tells Desmond about how the Pearl watches the other stations, completes journal entries of their activities, and then sends those journals through tubes. And I'm glad they did this because I needed a refresher. That's an example of a time where, like, (laughs) I'm glad they are continuing (laughs) this exposition. (laughs) flashback kelvin says goodbye before leaving the hatch which she which uh seemed poignant desmond notices there's a rip in kelvin's pant leg he follows him out of the hatch and then watches him take off his mask he follows him all the way to the boat which kelvin has been fixing up desmond finds out kelvin's been lying to him the whole time and becomes enraged he pushes him which causes kelvin to hit his head and die He makes it back to the hatch just in time to see the hieroglyphs. He can't enter the numbers, and inside things are flying around like a twister from the movie Twister. In the present, Desmond is looking through the number entry records and then realizes that the day he didn't make it back in time is the same day that the plane crashed, so he thinks that he's responsible for the plane crash, which is not too far off, I don't think. Um, The others bring the rescue crew to a dock, we learn that Creepy Boatman's name is Tom, and that his beard is very fake. Losing it. A red boat approaches the dock, <laughs> and out walks White Henry. Why does Tom need a beard? Like, why Listen, is that important? I don't know about I love it. People. I lo- just don't they, know. Are they trying to disguise him from... Do they know him? I don't think they... <laughs> In the hatch, Charlie is recovering from the blast... He finds Echo seemingly dead, and now John and Desmond are at odds. Desmond is now convinced that if they don't push the button, something is ter- something terrible is going to happen. Desmond uses the wires to get out of the blast doors and then finds our mutual friend on the bookshelf. Flashback Desmond drinks and holds a gun pensively. He opens our mutual friend and finds a letter that Penny wrote when, she- when he went to prison, saying that she'll wait for him always. This sends him into a rage. He starts tearing books off the shelves. Then he hears Locke banging and shouting on the quarantine door and then turns on a light. That was a nice little callback. I thought it was cool that he was telling Locke about that. Like, he was going to kill himself and Locke was similarly hitting rock bottom at the same time. And then, like, that was their first 
interaction, but I can't remember what he said to Locke, so I'll cut this out. Well, he said something like, um, I, you saved my life so that I could save yours, like Mm. fate brought you here. Right, okay. And then he says, see you in another life, brother. Um, and then he goes down into the, the little crawl space. And things are still flying around. Metal is, like, shrinking and shriveling. John finally admits that he's wrong, and Desmond turns the key. We cut to the dock, and we hear a huge metallic sound. Um, the quarantine door lands on the beach. Charlie comes back to the beach, and he can't hear shit. White Henry gives Michael a boat and then gives him instructions to get rescued. He's reunited with Walt on the boat and they make direct eye contact with their hostage friends as they drive away. (laughs) They release Hurley and tell him to go back to camp and tell everyone that they can't ever come find them. And are you convinced that Hurley knows the way back to camp? (laughs) I am not. That's funny. Uh, also, something electromagnetic must have shifted in Claire's hatch because now she's all over Charlie. <laughs> like, why? Also, why didn't he tell her what he knew? She was like asking him what happened, and he was like, "Nothing, a a fork." Yeah, like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I read a review of from a critic that said. It's as if that last scene of Charlie, it's as if they were just trying to make us hate him. <laughs> like, they said he was acting extremely unlikable. Just In the scene end- with Claire? Yeah, like, we're ending the season just being like, okay, fuck you. And I, I didn't- I don't know if he's extremely unlikable. Yeah, I didn't I feel fuck you in that scene, but I did feel like, what's the point of this? Like, he's acting, he's acting like he just got back from, like, a fun day of school or something. <laughs> he's like, oh, nothing. I mean, I I guess he's, like, back in Claire's graces, which, like, is the point of that scene. But, like, as far as he knows, all three of those men could be dead. <laughs> and he's not saying anything about yeah, it. Yeah, wait a minute. He's like, oh, I can't really hear. <laughs> Do you love me again? <laughs> yeah, okay, now that's fucked up. <laughs> We cut to two men speaking in Portuguese in what looks like Siberia. A computer reveals some kind of electromagnetic activity and they go into a panic. One of them calls Penelope Widmore and says, I think we found it. Fuck. And then that's the end of season two. Holy shit. I'm so jazzed about Michael Emerson. Remember how I said I wanted more and I was disappointed earlier? (laughs) Disappointed with what? When I was like, oh, he is one of the others and that's it. Like, I wanted, I wanted. That's it. I wanted it to be something more. This is exactly what I was talking about. He's actually a big fucking deal. And then I thought about when he was being like. Because the man in charge, he's a great man, John. A brilliant man. But he is not a forgiving man. He'll kill me because I failed, John. (laughs) He's talking about himself? Love that frame. Love you, White Henry. <laughs> also, um, I forget. Remember when they heard whispering? Like, you know, the other style whispering? Yeah. Did it sound like they were saying names to you? When? I swear I heard them whisper Elizabeth. And I was like, oh, okay. This is relevant. And then it sounded like, Melinda, and then it sounded like Hillary. I swear they were saying names, but oh. 
But it didn't say it in the subtitles, so I don't know if that matters. When when was this? Was it in this episode? Yeah. I don't remember whispering in this episode. It might be... I think it's when they're at the, at the pile of tubes and then they get captured. Oh. I don't know. I literally watched this like a week ago. I don't huh. I don't know what happens in this episode. I looked at the taglines for season three mm. and they had us versus them, which seems pretty self-explanatory. And they also had find yourself. <laughs> Lost. Find yourself. <laughs> don't like that. Where are my predictions? Oh, maybe Kelvin has some connection to the Gulf War. Like when we saw Saeed interacting with the American army, which was led by Kate's fake father, Sam Austin. Especially Mm. since in this episode, Kelvin is singing the Iraqi national anthem or the former. Wait, really? Yeah, it's it was the national anthem until 2003. It's called Ardul Furetaini Watan. And that's 100% correct. <laughs> um, so that would be cool and interesting if he was part of that. Oh my god, what if he's in the flashbacks? He probably is. Okay, you know how they keep the orientation video reel behind the turn of the screw? Mm-hmm. I just found out that there's a U.S. television series called Matinee Theater, or in the 50s there was, and they adapted the turn of the screw in 1957, and the title of that episode is The Others. And so I don't know if that's just a little wink to them. I don't know what this has to do with the show, but that made me think that since Turn of the Screw is about ghosts, that maybe the others could be ghosts or maybe the plane crash survivors didn't survive and they're the ones haunting the island. You know what I mean? One of those twists. This... It could be like the others, the movie with Nicole Kidman. Is that what that's called? Where they are, yeah, where they're ghosts. Oh, did that come out before Lost? Because yeah. Because then that would be, that would just be a ripoff. Yeah. <laughs> so then they couldn't be. It was before. It was, it's the one where like the kids can't go in the sun <laughs> or they'll burn, <laughs> but it's because they're ghosts. <laughs> Also, I just looked it up, and Kelvin is in season two, episode 14, one of them. He plays the, um, uh, it says, during the first Gulf War, Kelvin recruited Saeed to interrogate Saeed's former superior. Oh, he was the guy with the box of yuckies? What? Were we supposed to recognize him then? Because I did not. Yeah, I don't. I didn't recognize him at all. But he probably didn't have a beard. Maybe it was a fake beard. Oh. There, there was the guy that was like, hey, you go, hey, guy in the national, why did my brain stop? But the Americans like taught Saeed how to torture it they during did? an interrogation, which I thought was cool because we were envisioning, Iraqi Republican Guard, we were envisioning them as being like, oh, scary, like, Iraqi army, but it turns out that, like, the Americans made him do this. Oh. The Americans turned him bad. God, it's been so long. I don't think the name Calvin was in the credits for that episode, though, because I would have noticed. No, it says, Saeed is later brought to a man named Joe Inman. And Calvin Inman is his name. Another guy with multiple names. Yeah. Inman tells Saeed that Tariq used to be the head of the Chemical Warfare Battalion in the North. Inman tells Saeed that he should know 
that village since Saeed had relatives there. Yeah, so Tariq, like, gassed that whole village with sarin gas. And so Saeed was like, oh my god, my commanding officer, like, possibly killed my whole family. And that's why he decided, that's why he agrees to take those box of, like, I don't know, whatever shit to torture him. Ew. Um, did you read A Cold Mountain or see the movie? No. What is that? It's a novel, but there's a character in it named Inman. It's about the Civil War, and he's a, like, Confederate deserter, I think. Huh. And we know that Calvin has left the army, so I wonder if he's named for that guy. Oh, probably. The Snow Globe reminded me of St. Elsewhere, which is another show with a polarizing ending. In that show, it turns out that none of it was real. It was being imagined by someone. And I think that Thanks. was like, <laughs> I think that was a common fan theory about Lost when it was on the air. Like, oh, it's all in somebody's head. Yeah, I think so too. But then I found out that Lost producers are huge fans of Watchmen. And huh. I guess Snow Globes feature heavily in the comics. Um, in Entertainment Weekly, Damon Lindelof called Watchmen the greatest piece of popular fiction ever produced. Javier Griot Markswatch, who was a writer and producer of seasons one and two, has stated that Watchmen was a topic of much discussion among those of us in the writer's room who were comics-minded. And Lostpedia has a whole article of lost Watchmen parallels, but obviously I can't read that. Oh, yeah. It seemed to me that they purposely didn't show the face of the guy that they shot while they were on their way with Michael, so I wonder if he matters later. Like, the camera quickly cut... he, He fell face down... And then the camera, like, purposefully stayed off of him, I thought. Or they only showed him from a far distance. Hmm. And I was like, let me see the guy's face. I want to know who it is. Interesting. Those are all my predictions. Who wants to pick their island, boys? (laughs) I have mine. One, three, two, two one. Steve Jenkins. Who the fuck is Steve Jenkins? Of Scott and Steve fame. Oh, R.I.P. Jack Bender. No, Steve's alive. Steve's alive. <laughs> Why do you think you get to be Jack Bender's girlfriend? <laughs> what makes you think? Um, because he's real. Because he's the only one that I could potentially make my boy because <laughs> he exists in this reality. I chose Steve because we 100% decided that Scott and Steve were in a relation. That's canon. But mm-hmm. when Sawyer <laughs> when Sawyer was reading the messages in a bottle, he said that Steve had been cozying up to some lady. Do you remember that? Where he was like, oh, well, why is Steve writing a message to somebody else? Because he's really cozying up. I think it was, like, his wife or something. And oh! Sawyer was like, oh, my. Why is he getting so cozy with so-and-so? Anyway, I decided that Steve is the so show's... So Steve is a bicon? Yeah, he's, he's the show's bisexual icon, and I want to be his next rebound. <laughs> <laughs> okay, get fucking serious. <clears throat> R.I.P. Anna Lucia. R.I.P. Boone, long live the king of teens. R.I.P. Calvin, or Joe. Leslie Arts. It's been Elizabeth Smith, and that haircut in the coffee shop scene. R.I.P. to her husband, David. 
Ridzinski. And finally, R.I.P. Dirty Guy that they shot in the jungle. And Kelvin. I said him. You did? I said to Kelvin. Damn it. Double R.I.P. to Kelvin. <laughs> Aikai. He is the trivia. Aikai. All right, enough jibber-jabber. Let's roll. <laughs> <laughs> is a direct quote made by Sawyer from the A-Team. Shocking. He can quote 80s television. <laughs> What else is new? Due to being two hours long, more time went into shooting Live Together, Die Alone than most episodes. It was shot in 17 days by two separate crews. Actually, I watched The Lost on Location, and they were in a bunch of different places. Like, there was one crew doing all the magnet shit in the hatch, and there was obviously people filming on the boat, and then there were people filming the jungle stuff. Hmm. Very involved. Everything about the British Army is wrong, apparently. The uniforms are outdated. They have no regimental badges on their caps. Oh, no. <laughs> I was. That's what I was thinking, too, when I saw that's it. That's why this isn't the number, the top-rated episode. <laughs> <laughs> it's only the third. Dang it! <laughs> the guy discharging Desmond is a master sergeant, which is not even a rank in the British Army. <laughs> Henry Ian Cusick received an Emmy nomination for Outstanding Guest Actor for his performance in this episode. Oh. Oh. God bless Desmond. Um, in the Lost on Location, Jack Bender makes this emotional series rap speech for Cynthia Watros, and then she says, I have a feeling I might see you again someday. Who's Cynthia Watros again? Libby. Oh. If you're into practical effects, you gotta check out the video to see all the hatch items flying around. And the storm they make for the sailboat, they use dump tanks to throw 2,000 gallons of water onto the deck at a time to simulate waves. Check out the dump tank on that one. (laughs) Don't make a fool of me. (laughs) Also, I didn't know until this video that Stephen Williams is black. It feels like all the directors on this show are... Oh, you didn't know that? (laughs) Overwhelmingly white men. Yeah, they are. (laughs) IGN's Eric Goldman praised actor Henry Ian Cusick for giving, quote, a likable, sympathetic performance. Entertainment Weekly writer Scott Brown described his viewing experience as, I was up, I was down, I was frustrated, I was thrilled, and finally I was, well, a bit numb. (laughs) Loving him. In the Swan, Chains and Things by B.B. King is playing on the record player. The lyrics seem pretty standard for a blues song, but it does use the word lost. It says, I can't shake it loose, these chains and things. Got to work this morning, seems like everything is lost. I got a cold-hearted, wrong-doing woman and a slave-driving boss. (laughs) Same. (laughs) This song fucks, though. I love B.B. King. Oh, what about this song? Is that what he was listening to on the Desmond is listening to it. It's from The Marriage of Figaro. Um, This song is about being lovesick, apparently. It says, I don't know how to hold it or even what it is. I sigh and lament without wanting to. I Twitter. (laughs) I send so many tweets. And tremble without knowing why. I find peace neither night nor day. But still I rather... (laughs) Whoa! 
scared the shit out of me. I was so much louder. <laughs> but I still rather enjoy languishing this way. I really like that line. Hmm. Because, like, honestly, same. Like, I just, like, really think that I'm just, like, Desmond. <laughs> and I really think that, like, if I could just win a woman in a sailboat race, then maybe I'll finally be happy. You know, that's how my parents met. Well, that was certainly some trivia. What do we have? Oh, we just got to vote somebody off. Oh, are you ready? I'm ready. Three, two, two, one, Marvin Candle. So he can go find Penny. I want to get him out of the snow globe. (laughs) I chose Marvin Candle because he uses aliases and his whole organization is shady. I have secret information from Persephone and I happen to know that this company is in legal trouble and whatever they're doing in Sri Lanka just isn't right. (laughs) I hate that alternate reality content. MVP... One, three, two, two, three, one, Penelope Widmore. Why wow. the barista? <laughs> because Desmond's stupid ass is like, give me whatever has the most caffeine, brother. And then he can't even pay for it. That's <laughs> two strikes against you, buddy. Minimum wage employees in the service industry are the true heroes, okay? I don't care about surgeons and scientists. <laughs> does not get paid to say a single word on this show <laughs> you should go back and watch that scene because it's yeah, very he doesn't unnatural. say anything he's just like mm. <laughs> he doesn't say hello doesn't say how can I help you doesn't say okay I'll make you a double espresso <laughs> like, yeah doesn't tell him what has most caffeine doesn't say anything doesn't give about him the, the price <laughs> yeah. we cannot afford to pay one more actor to have a speaking role <laughs> <laughs> truly um what did you say i said penny because she just because of that one line where he was like how did you find me and she goes i have a lot of money desmond (laughs) fucking icon wow what a season i think i liked season one better i think i did too but I still love the season. Season one, I just don't think you can beat season one. It's like... Is it the best one? I mean, I it's been so long. I doubt... I, I don't know. I can't I can't make an assessment about that. <laughs> I wish you wouldn't have asked, Anna. <laughs> wish you wouldn't put me on the spot like that. <laughs> well, I can't wait to not have any of my questions answered <laughs> in season three. Yeah. Follow us on Instagram at You've Lost Me Pod, Twitter at You've Lost Me Pod, email us at You've Lost Me Pod at gmail.com. Should we retire our season two tagline? Because it started in season two, episode one with Jack Wright. Oh. Um, all right. Well, thank you, Jack. Yeah. Thank you, guys. It's so fun. Mwah. Good nice to see you. Good nice to see you. <laughs> That's the sign off now from now on. Good nice to see you. We do need it. Yeah, maybe we'll, that'll be our season two sign off. Okay, great. <laughs> Jack Wright. It was good nice to see you. It was truly good nice to see you. <laughs> Bye. Cars on the cable and last
like an hourglass glued to the